0: and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio podcast. With us on the line, we've got none other than Blake Wharton. Blake, how's it going? Good. Right on, man. Uh, yeah, so, uh, <clears throat> like, honestly, like, and we're not recording right now, but, like, I thought it was, it was a really good race for you, man. Uh, I was, I was... First of all, I was pretty impressed. Like, for a guy that's had that much time off, obviously, uh, I still, like, I, I knew you had, had some skills on the motorcycle, but um, just being thrown in with all that, like, it was kind of a perfect storm to to maybe not have the, the most spectacular of nights, but, uh, yeah. Right. V- a veteran performance, I might say.
3: No, it was good. It was, um, I feel if if I would have had a little more time on the bike or, like, been able to work up my... You know, my race cardio or endurance, if, if you will, I could have been top five on the West and top 10 in the shootout, which would have been pretty dang good, all things considered. You know, you're like in eight. I think I was in eighth at one point in the shootout. And it was. Just, I was just glad to be back and doing battle with the guys, you know, racing with some of the, some of the guys who are former champions or the guys who are leading the series. Is, um, and I know basically that if I can do that now, well, in another month or two, you know, where will I be? Ultimately, we have to look at next year. You know yeah. that would be like okay, this is, this is now we have a full season to prepare, but we're we're pretty excited for Seattle and Salt Lake. You know we know and, and we know that if we get a good start or if things are start to click and we feel really comfortable and confident, then you know we can go for a podium.
0: Absolutely, I think that's definitely w- well within uh, your grasp at this point. At this point, um, what was it like? Uh, like, you know, let's dial the clocks back uh, a little bit further than just this this weekend. How do you, how do you get contacted by the IB Corp team? What are what needs to happen uh, for that to like? To actually become where you end up. Obviously, there was rumors or there was uh, speculation and an announcement that you were going to be racing for Mun Racing on the East Coast. Uh, and then shortly after that, uh, an announcement that you would be joining the IB Corp team. How'd that all come together?
3: Yeah, well, we uh, originally planned on racing the East Coast. And so our first round would have been Dallas, but I had some preseason setbacks. Um, I took a spill and injured myself and was going to miss the first three or four East rounds. And um, so we thought kind of at that point that we might need to rethink our strategy a bit. And it just so happened um, at that point that the IB Corp race team, or close to that time, had a pretty bad round at San Diego where they had some injuries. And they were going to be needing some filling guys. And so I had known Ellis for some time, Jamie Ellis, who is our team manager at IB Corp Racing. Um, he was our motor builder back in 2012 or 13 on Rockstar Energy Suzuki. That's right. So I had I had kept in touch with Ellis over the years. I'd kept in touch with Rhino over the years, talking about different projects and motocross, all things related to motocross. And then um, last year we did the story on um, IB Corp in Racer X. So I actually got to know um, the the owners well. So I have known these guys, you know, for some time, have a bit of history with them. And and we had talked about the possibility of coming on. So it's just more or less timing um that kind of arose we were partnering up with mun and uh, it was a really good deal for i think both of us but um when this this deal came along with ivy Corp, it was it would be better to to get me back on track and closer to where i needed to be testing wise we still had a lot of riding to do and we still had a lot of progress to to be made um i think it was maybe just one month that we had a preseason riding on supercross um this year so just one month and you know, we've been off for four years, so we're, we're happy with where we, we've finished, and we're happy with the progress that we've made in a short amount of time.
0: Absolutely. Uh, get, switching from the, uh, I believe you're on Husqvarna, over to a Yamaha, very different power plants, very different uh, geometry on the, on the motorcycles. Uh, what was the learning curve like for you, uh, jumping onto a fairly new machine and uh, basically having to go uh, onto the race bike quite quickly, I, I, I assume, as well?
1: Yeah, well, uh,
3: the the Yamaha 250F and the Husqvarna 250F, they are very different. I, in fact, I think they're probably the most different. You know, they're probably two of the best 250Fs, and I think that most would agree, but they're very different from one another. Like you said, the platforms are kind of opposites. They contrast one another, where the Yamaha has a lot of bottom end, the Husky has a lot of top, where the Yamaha, the, the frame is kind of shorter and and it has a different feel when you're riding It's It's aluminum, obviously, with the you know, Husky is metal and a little bit longer. The bike's kind of stretched out. I personally like both of the bikes. Uh, I think they have, they both kind of have different strong suits. Um, I do think that the Yamaha suits me even a little more than the Husky does. And so I'm, like, really comfortable when I got on the uh, Ivy Court bike. Um, we knew that the, the motor would be good based on how fast the stock Yamaha is and how I'm actually used to, quite used to the, um, Twisted Development race motor. Um, it was actually the same motor we had in our Husqvarna. So Jamie Ellis built that bike. Twisted obviously built the Ebbicorp, um, race bikes as well. So it was a super easy transition, um, suspension and the chassis setup that they, those guys had, um, was pretty good already because they had done so much racing and riding. So it was easy for me to just step into this, to this, well-oiled machine and
0: and go and do my thing and focus on on what i needed to focus on and and, uh, speaking of what you need to focus on what are the types of things that you need to work on most to get back into riding shape uh, into the rhythm of riding supercross because uh although like your skill set is large um i I imagine uh, a little bit of rust builds up over the years
3: yeah definitely there's there's getting back into shape for riding and there's getting back into like that sprint lap, which is kind of something else. And I think it comes a little later. Um, you don't want to go into that right away necessarily, but fortunately I think I've stayed in pretty good shape over the years and I've been working out, I've been training and actually made some pretty nice gains. Um, but of course nothing, nothing can really replace racing. Um, you can practice as much as you you want. You can do as much training in the gym as you want, but if, unless you get gate drops, it's really really hard to replicate that feeling. Um, and so we knew ultimately that it's just going to take gate drops to get back to where we were before or better. But just you know, for me in regards to physically, yeah, I'm 26 now. I'm not necessarily 19 or 20 or 21, and so still, and I still feel
2: more.
0: Sorry, I just dro- exactly I dropped you for a second. You, you sounded robotic exactly. for a second. What, uh, like uh, you're, not, you're not 19 anymore. Uh, what came after that?
3: Say that again, Brad?
0: I said <clears throat> uh, you, you broke up. Uh, it said you're not 19 anymore.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not 19 anymore, so I have to work on some of those other things that, that are important like quick twitch and speed and reflexes and cardiovascular. I mean, it takes a long time to get that cardiovascular build a uh, back supercross. I mean, the second most physically demanding sport in the world for no reason. Um, and when you take years away, it becomes evident as to why they say that. It's because when you're going 180, 190, 200 heart rate for 15 minutes, and that's pretty brutal. Um, and so my first few days back on the supercross track, were absolutely grueling. Um, I've been working with Rhino and we've got some good ideas and we've got some good plans moving forward, but yeah, we've been working on just that getting back, not biting off too much too soon because uh, we don't want to bury ourselves. We don't want to show up to the races empty, but we know at the same time that we have a lot of work to do. We still have a long way to go to get to where we we, we want to be or to get to where we're comfortable. I mean, this weekend was great, but uh, ultimately I know I have a lot more to give and a lot more speed to find.
0: So what's, what's the, the, the end goal in, in for your season? I, I earlier mentioned in the podcast uh, about a, 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 a podium. So is, uh, is that basically uh, the, the golden ball we're, we're chasing at this point, or is it a feel on the motorcycle in general?
3: Well, no, it's more or less a feel uh, on the motorcycle in general. Uh, we're not really worried about results right now. Uh, we just want to go as fast as we can for as long as we can. And, you know, I like, I like that because we simplify things. Uh, we know that if we ride to our best ability, we will get results because that's what we've done in the past, and it's worked. Um, you know, we don't want to go in with so much expectation that we sort of bury ourselves already. You know, we see that happen to guys that are third, fourth year, 2 3 dev lights guys who are expected to win a championship, and they put so much emphasis on it that they don't. And so results, you know, that's what we want. But ultimately, right now, let's just go fast. Let's continue to make strides each each weekend, each each ride. Really, each ride, we've been able to get a little better, a little faster on the practice track. So that's that's my main goal.
0: Fair enough. So uh, working with this team, obviously, they've got a pretty special um, trainer. Uh, I guess you'd a riding coach, a guy who's been kind of steering this whole thing, as well as it's attached to a web series, a reality show, uh, if, if you will. Um, working with Ryan Hughes, that's a guy who uh, he's pretty. Uh, notorious within the, 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 the media sphere. Uh, the two of you probably are probably the most uh, um, most capable of abstract thought of in, in the pits. Um, how, does, how does that kind of mesh together, and, uh, and what, do you, what have you learned from, uh, from Rhino over the last, uh, I guess it's been about four or five weeks now?
3: Yeah, well, uh, I've been learning different things from Rhino for over the last few years, but I've just now gotten to work with him. Um, on a regular basis and much much closer. Obviously, I grew up, you know, watching Rhino back when he was uh, 125 KPM out there chasing the national championship or riding for Factory Honda. Uh, it's been good to work with Rhino, like you said. He de- definitely has an outside of the box sort of mentality, which I find to be refreshing. I'm thinking the the IB Corp team kind of has that feel as well. Doing the whole um, podcast and uh, not podcast, but doing the whole video web series. Right. Um, Rhino, yeah, he's he's got a unique way of going about things. It's you know, but at the same time, it's he's he's pretty spot on. You know, I think a lot of people might um, they might not necessarily get him right, you know, because they they see him from the outside as kind of radical or kind of over the top. But Rhino's pretty pretty spot on with his training, and he's not you know overtraining us or or putting us through anything that's that's going to put us backwards. I mean, the guy has done it he's, he's lived it. And that's ultimately, I think what makes him a little different than, than some of the trainers today is he's, you know, he's, he's done it for so long. He's done it, not just in motocross, but he's raced works. He's raced supermoto. He's done the destination thing and been on a lot of different teams. So um, I'm happy to be working with Rhino full time. I know that we just sort of kind of scratched the surface with what we're going to, I think, be able to accomplish.
0: Absolutely no, the two of you guys uh, I think he's <clears throat> I'm not sure sure if if uh if if this is totally accurate, but I feel like um, at this point in your career um, you might benefit from a little bit of maybe negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement can often get um, some some good reactions out of uh, of younger athletes but um the, someone who's been around a little bit uh, would also appreciate a straight up conversation, which is uh, something that uh, Rhino's certainly uh, capable of. And uh, in my opinion, I think you're capable of hearing it.
3: Yeah, when there's no reason to blow smoke anymore, right? There's there's no reason for any sort of pretense. If you're riding good, you're riding good. If you're not, you're not. And um, yeah, there's Rhino's not one to candy coat it necessarily. So um, yeah, just take it as it is. Take take it on the chin if you have to and go back and work harder.
0: For sure. No, I, th- I think it's a, an interesting mix. No, how does the... Um the reality show uh, or the I guess the, the, the web series fit into your program. Uh, is it something that you 've been comfortable with obviously you're, you're a bit of an entertainer, uh, so to speak, but uh, on top of that like, uh, like the, I, I know that the, that the, the web series, the web series itself has been uh, known to be a little bit gimmicky a little bit uh, a little bit out there as far as uh, some of their ideas and how they want to present the sport. How does that kind of fit into uh, how you uh, want, want to operate yourself on race day and uh, during the week as well.
3: <clears throat> yeah, well we've we've had some some times to um, work with those guys, the videographers and the photographers at the practice track, of course. This weekend at the races, and um, you know it's been good. I think ultimately these even these factory teams ought to have ought to have more content being pushed out there to the out you know to the mainstream media or some outside of the industry. I think we could afford to break out and kind of show the world what this sport is all about um so i like it i don't mind it obviously it's another thing that you kind of have to juggle and you don't want to juggle too much on race day um but to capture the raw emotion or the or the the race the feeling or the or you know what you actually have to go and do to 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 make this whole thing go around it's a lot um I'm curious to see what our episodes look like when they do come out. I I think that, you know, um, shows usually, you know, they, they kind of build up to their climax and then their following gets larger. And then it kind of just, I don't know, gets narrowed in onto a theme or a genre. And I think that this one's going to be good. I think we've been able to work with, um, I've been able to work with my teammates and the guys, and we've been riding together, practicing together and, and so I think it's going to be an
0: interesting dynamic for the show. Absolutely. I think uh, um, I, I, this is a conversation that kind of <clears throat> started back almost two months ago, if not longer, uh, of just kind of getting this, getting the wheels moving on this as early as the Houston round, if I'm not mistaken. And um, just uh, kind like, of uh, throwing that name out there. And obviously with the injuries to the rest of the roster, that definitely opened up a position where you could be successful. Um the, the the team is in the right place. They've got good visibility at the track. I think that that's some. Uh, they've got a great bike, and they've uh, they've got a platform for you to uh, to to work well. Who's uh, who's working on your bikes um, during race day? Is it uh, um, is it Braho, or who, who's working on your bikes?
3: No, it's Josh Bartnick. Okay. Um, AKA Cheese. So Cheese and I go way back. Um, okay. Actually, Josh was. Uh, my first trainer, uh, Brad Woolsey's mechanic, back in like 98, 99. Uh, we were out in Mosier Valley, you know, back, when the, back in the day, and we'd be riding, and I would see Josh on occasion. So I was, you know, 7 years old, 8 years old, 9 years old. Uh, but I didn't, you know, we didn't kind of get to know Josh more until he went to Race Tech uh, back in, you know, early 2000s, and he was the amateur racing guy. Uh, and then I kind of reconnected with Josh in 2012 and 2013 when he was Jason Anderson's mechanic at Rockstar Energy Suzuki. So me and Josh have been going back and forth a lot over the years. And we like to talk about supermoto and we like to talk about, you know, racing and everything that has to do with it. But we've been working together for a while now and it's been good. I, I like working with Josh. He brings a laid back feel. Um, he's a veteran mechanic. I'm considered a veteran racer. So I think we have a good combo.
0: Definitely. A veteran racer coming back into the fray after a, a few years removed. And, and because of that, a three-digit number for the first time in quite some time. I think the last time we saw you in a three-digit was a tribute to a fallen racer. How do you come across uh, 7, 741?
3: Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, you have to have a three-digit number, right, if you've been away for a while. So, of course. Um, I wanted to run 731, which is my amateur racing number. Um, It's actually my birthday, but uh, Mr. Steve Roman has that one. Mm. So we had to find something else. And actually, when I first turned pro, I was 721 uh, from Millville, Southwick, and um, Steel City back in 2008.
0: Right. Uh, But that
3: one was also taken, if I'm not mistaken. So we said, well, what the heck, let's just go up a a digit. Um, So 741 came about, and it looks pretty good. So I think um, we have to stick with it for now.
0: There you go, seven forty-one. Looking good on the machine and g- great in qualifying. Uh, obviously, you had uh, the benefit of having a pretty clean track uh, before the track uh, before uh, things got too crazy. But um, like uh, a seventh in in uh, total time qualifying, that's pretty good for a guy that's been away for a while, man.
3: Um, yeah, I don't. I think it was a sixth in the out of the west. I don't know what we worked like combined. Seven. Um, like I was seventh combined out of east and west. Yes. Oh wow, hey, that's something you learn new every day, right? Um no, that is pretty good. Um uh, there's still some time for us to to be gained out there like like you said I had a I had a clean track so definitely a, an advantage um especially on on uh, Indy you know this weekend with all the ruts. But um I think it'll be good once I get moved to the A practice also because I'll be able to ride with the some of the faster guys that I kind of need to just log more laps with and hopefully I can pick up a thing or two on them as to what they're doing. Uh, what's making them, you know, go a little faster. Um, but yeah, can't complain. Can't complain with how practice went. Um, you know, it was a pretty clean day, actually.
0: No doubt. And now, of course, uh, you get back into racing and then promptly a two-week break. What does uh, Blake Wharton do with his two weeks to prepare and make sure that uh, his his eyes are dotted and his teaser crossed comes Seattle which will be uh, no doubt a very similar landscape if not a little bit more moon dirty um with uh, the the Seattle dirt that likes to move around a little bit
3: Yeah it definitely likes to move around there's there's no doubt that there'll be ruts um it, but it's like you say it's it's a it's a very different rut um it's a west coast dirt and it's it can be unique. I've definitely I've had some experience there, not a whole lot because I've spent most of my career on the East Coast. Um but I raced in Seattle in two thousand um two thousand ten and I actually got a fourth there. Not not the greatest night, but um got to lead some laps. Um what we're gonna do now, uh, for this two week two week um intermission we kinda have here is is just continue to log laps. Uh we, we just need more time. Uh we need more race time, we need more practice time and just try to make those games that we've been able to make up to now. Um, But we have a good template now, right, because we were able to see where exactly we were going to need more. We knew we were were not going to show up and be 100%. I think our goal has been to let's get to Vegas and be 100%, or let's get to Vegas and be be closer at least to our 100%. So everything from now to then is just practice, and even that, that shootout, shootouts can be pretty brutal. You can have a guy... Who's just won the championship in twentieth sometimes, and you can have a guy who's normally ninth or tenth, you know, win the thing. The shootouts are notorious for just this wild race and kind of this chaotic sort of sort of template. But uh, we're gonna just put our heads down and keep working.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, it's it's kind of a unique scenario where uh, two of your four rounds that you'll be competing in will be. Um will be shootout style, which is, is very different. But uh, nevertheless, that's the, that's the cards we're dealt. Um, <clears throat> um, and I, I think that's a little bit of a, a way to showcase yourself uh, as, as far as like you, you get more opportunities uh, percentage-wise than anybody to see how you stack up against the whole field. Um, any plans to, uh, to get some seat time outdoors uh, once the season is done?
3: Yeah, it's something that the, the team has actually talked about um, they've, they've wanted to do some outdoor rounds. And so it's kind of up in the air. We don't really know what we're going to do yet. Um, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not obligated to do any outdoors. Um, but it's certainly an idea. Um, we'll see. We're just kind of taking it, you know, one season at a time for now. We know we have a lot to, to prove left in supercross. We have a lot to be gained in supercross. And so we're going to focus on that. Um, if we can get to where we want to be come Vegas, I know that it'll put us in a good spot if we do race outdoors. Um, so we won't be starting from square one.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And uh, and also on some tracks that you're more than familiar with. I think there's maybe only one or two tracks that currently are on that weren't on the last time you raced nationals. Maybe Muddy Creek being the only one? Did you
3: race uh, Muddy Creek? Yeah, no, I, I raced Muddy Creek in uh, 2013. So I've, I've raced okay. most of the tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few, uh, Ironman, uh, maybe in one more uh, other round. But um, all tracks I've been to usually.
0: Fair enough fair enough um, well uh, look for I, I hope to see you out there my friend I think it'd be cool uh, I think that I' uh, not to say that you were an outdoor specialist but I think that the you definitely were like kind of like uh, almost a dark horse never count the guy out as far as uh, a good finish outdoors when you were racing at full time uh, the skill sets there I think you're decent in the sand I think a millville was kind of a, a track that you were uh, you excelled at um, would you agree
3: definitely uh, I had some some of my better years in outdoors probably earlier on. Um, and then kind of some of my better years in supercross a little later on. Um, and that just kind of comes with the territory. Sometimes, um, if you have a long career in, in supercross and motocross, you'll kind of see that with guys. They don't race motocross. Sometimes they do, they win it sometimes, or uh, they might struggle. Super motocross is definitely a, a, a brutal um, series. It's very long. It's very tiresome and, and it's very, you know, um, it's very competitive. Um, it's not something to be us- underestimated. I think that the the, diff- the biggest difference between the moto guys here in the states versus the euros is we already have such a competitive series before motocross even starts. To be honest, most of us are already pretty tired by the time you get to motocross. Yes. And so come destinations, <clears throat> a lot of the Americans are fairly fairly tanked, fairly beat um, where the euros kind of have that long series and they have more time and it's, it's Pretty smart the way they do it, Um, but you know, you never can kind of. I don't know. Motocrosses. I've had good. I've had good seasons, you know, in the past, and had had some podiums. But I like Washougal. I like Millville. A lot of those tracks that I kind of debuted at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I recall your your debut. I think you even got a decent start in your first moto, if I'm not mistaken, in Millville, uh, doing quite well. Uh, kind of shades of of how uh, Trey Kennard, actually. I believe he might have even gotten a podium in his first round. did um, you, you might have even led laps your first first weekend, or your first, at least you led laps in one of your first three.
3: Yeah, I did. At the Southwick was my second race, and I actually led some laps there, right. and then I got a whole shot at uh, Steel City and. And had some uh, good runs at um, Millville. I had a fifth overall for my first race, so it was uh, it was good. It was a good good season.
0: What was it like for you leading up to that? You were a very highly touted uh, amateur rider, a guy who was basically, uh, for lack of other words, like kind of lethal as far as the amateur scenes goes. And then uh, you, you, you did quite well at, at uh, Loretta's that year, if I'm not mistaken. And then the very next weekend is, is Millville. How did, like, what, did you, like, what changed about your motorcycle from, from amateurs to pros? Was there much of a difference at all? What was that transition like for you?
3: yeah the bike was was a pretty big change actually, and we didn't have a whole lot of time on it going from uh you know Loretta straight to Millville. I think it was two weeks we had um the biggest the biggest change probably being the suspension but that was back when we ran stuff fifty two inch uh or fifty two yep. um, millimeters uh forks and um, they were pretty brutal on a big track being a, a littler guy back then um and so that was something that we kind of had to get used to. It was a bit rigid, a, a rigid feel. Uh, yeah. We eventually, I think in 2010 or 11, we went to the 49s, the stock. Um,
0: stock tubes. The stock
3: four. Yeah, the stock tubes. And I think I think most teams might do that today. I'm not, not necessarily sure. But uh, that was probably the biggest change. Obviously, we went from the, um, the amateur race motor uh, that Factory Connection had at the time to the you know pro race motor, which was significantly faster, much much more grunt, much more power hmm. um, on the bottom. So it was it was a bit of an adjustment, but you, it doesn't take a guy too long to get you to so a
0: faster bike. No doubt. Uh, yeah, no, you give a kid a little bit more horsepower. It just goes a little bit faster. Um, Blake Wharton, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. I really appreciate you giving some time. Before I let you go, uh, a couple of uh, quick questions uh, to, uh, to wrap things up, right? Sure. As you were growing up, what was your favorite motocross video? Our
3: favorite motocross video... Well, we watched all of the Mini Warriors, of course, and um, we would watch a lot of the freestyle videos as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd, I'd say probably my favorite one was, I, I think it was the Pastrana 199. Revelation one?
0: 199. We are, we're we're yeah, a kinship yeah, yeah. on that. That's, I think I'm looking at a copy Yeah,
3: right I, yeah I really like that one because of the soundtrack. I remember it had some really cool tunes, and I don't know, it was very cutting-edge for the time.
0: Absolutely. You, you'd be happy to know that that soundtrack is actually available on Spotify in full. Nice. Yeah, it is I'm going to have
3: to go online and pick that up.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, and also, how do you like your coffee in the morning?
3: Uh, well, I actually don't drink um, regular coffee. I drink um, a coffee substitute, if you will.
0: Okay. Um,
3: what's it called? It's, oh no, it's basically it's made with the chicory
1: okay so it's
3: not made with you know with normal coffee beans um but it tastes it tastes good so I usually will put a little cream in there um maybe a little almond creamer to keep the keep the keep on the lower fat mm. um, diet yeah
0: fair enough and uh, how no, much no
3: sugar no sugar
0: no no sugar allowed. About, about how much weight did you actually uh, lose or muscle mass you put on to, to actually start performing at this level because uh, I imagine that you probably weren't in tip-top shape when, uh, when, when the preparation for the season started.
3: Yeah, I would say I probably leaned out about 10 pounds, but I also, over the last three years, I've put on a significant amount of muscle. So maybe I added... Fifteen pounds there,
0: hmm.
3: ten to fifteen. So I kind of just traded, I would say. Um, so got a little leaner, but also got a little stronger.
0: Fair enough. What is uh, what? What is the the key to uh, having a successful relationship with a redheaded woman?
3: Oh, that's a that is a good question. Uh, are you asking me what the key is to having a successful relationship with a redhead, or?
0: Uh, with your, well, I, I, kind of like, like, uh, I'm gonna paint redheads with a broad brush here, but uh, okay, I, you I'm could use your personal experience as, uh, as a kind of like a, uh, a litmus test.
3: Yeah, it, it is a mystery, and I'm sure the world is just dying to know, right? What does it take? How is this even possible? Right. Um, but she's over here smiling and, and laughing. Um, well, fortunately, we have um, a bit of history together. Uh, we actually kind of grew up together when we were really, really, really young. Our parents knew each other um, back in the day. Um, they were friends a long time ago. So our families have known each other. Um, so maybe we're just acclimated to one another. She's maybe used to my shenanigans.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think the, the the key to any good relationship, uh, regardless of, uh, of who's in it, is that people are willing to put up with each other's shit. Um, uh, where does the photography come in for her? Because uh, was it just one of those things where you're like, hey, like, I need to have someone that can take photos, so figure it out? Or did she have those skills prior to getting to know you?
3: No, she she's had those skills um,
0: prior to, to reconnecting with me. Um, and her mom is also
3: a photographer. Uh, but, yeah, they just kind of go motocross and photography just kind of go hand-in-hand, kind of like music and moto does. And yeah. so it just worked really nicely together. So we were able to go on trips together, but also – it, whilst accomplishing some of the some of the similar goals. Um, and so that's kind of how some of these projects have come about when we went to Belgium and when we've done different stories. We have a story coming out um, in Racer X soon um, regarding Ugandan um, motocross, uh, African, East African motocross. So, and she did um, all the photos for that as well.
0: There you go. Absolutely. Uh, the two of you guys are quite the pair. And taking on uh, Supercross in a brand-new way this uh, is- this weekend. Um, I wish you guys the best to let going forward. And uh, yeah, man, I really, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak with us today on a Monday.
3: Thanks, Brad. Anytime.
0: Hey everyone. Let's take a break and listen to some commercials quickly. Then we'll be right back to the podcast. Thanks for listening.
1: These imigos—that's
0: what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids! Start out every morning with a fat ball.
1: What's up, guys? It's Bruce Cook here with Nitro Circus. We're coming to Kelowna, BC, May 25th for the Next Level Tour, and I'm so stoked to see you there.
0: The most action-packed event on the planet is back, bigger and crazier than ever before, with the largest ramps you've ever seen. Nitro Circus, the global youth entertainment phenomenon returns to North America this year with the epic Next Level Tour. This spectacular brand new production, an all moto adrenaline rush, will have death-defying tricks, jaw-dropping world's firsts, and absurd stunts. It all adds up to a thrilling show simply too big to fit indoors. The Next Level Tour launches mid-May, just in time for summer, and will visit over 10 cities across the continent through June. Brainchild of Travis Pastrana, global superstar, action sports icon, and Nitro Circus ringleader, the Next Level Tour features the best athletes in action sports taking on the biggest ramps in the world. The Nitro Circus design team has put it all on the line with this show, doubling down on the risk factor. The FMX Next Level Takeoff Ramp alone, a towering 15 feet above the show floor, a whopping 5 feet taller than any ramp toured before, will launch riders more than 60 feet into the sky. The landing ramp also looms large, standing 23 feet in height. The Nitro Circus Next Level Tour will include several athletes, including Bruce Cook, Jared McNeil, Jared Duffy, Blake, Bilko Williams, and many more. For more information, visit nitrocircus.com. Hey, Big MX listeners, just wanted to take a moment to uh, let you guys know about Viral Brand and Viral Brand Goggles. Uh, Viral Brand Goggles are a relatively new company, and we've been working with them for about a year now, and uh, they've got some really cool things going on, which include uh, not only when you buy a pair of goggles, you will not only get a goggle bag, which of course you get with most goggle bags, but uh, with most goggles rather, but uh, you'll also get tear-offs. You get a, a 10-pack of tear-offs, and you also get an extra clear lens to go along with your Mirrored lens than uh, the tinted lens that the goggles come with, uh, so it's kind of a more of a, more of a package than it is just a set of goggles. Which if you're going to buy goggles, you're going to need an extra lens, you're going to need tear offs. So they take care of all that stuff for you. And uh, seventy four ninety nine US is uh, an easy asking price. They've also got a thirty day money back guarantee. If uh, their best fit challenge, if your goggles don't fit your helmet within the first thirty days, get them back to Viral for uh, and, and they'll take care of you, no questions asked. Uh, so check out the viralbrand.com today and, uh, and, and see what the kind of products and the, uh, the accessories that they've got. I love the goggles myself and uh, can't wait to see you guys enjoying them as well. Take care.
1: Hey guys, it's Fly yes, Racing there. Justin Brayden, winner of the 2018 Daytona you? Supercross. You're listening to the Big MX Radio.
0: Daniel Kaslu. Yes, sir. How's it going, my friend? Not too bad, not too bad. It's Brad Gibbard calling. Thanks for taking my call. It won't take up too much of your time, but uh been looking forward to having yeah, you on, yeah, my friend. I it's uh, you are you're, you're a great uh, story and you're a real here. professional and, uh, within the sport. I think yeah, you're, I've been, you're on the yeah, rise. So it'd be cool I was, to have you on. Uh
1: fifteen years old, so uh, I've definitely been around for a while and it's cool to uh as of recent you know past year or two have some, some cool success uh, and results wise, you know, it's been awesome.
0: Absolutely, um, it's it's amazing to hear that you'd been doing no, it for this no, for so actually, long. Uh, I think we're we're around old. the same age, roughly. Uh, maybe yeah. uh, I don't know, like how old are you? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, Probably four, huh?
0: Okay, yeah. All right, then we're about the same age then. Yeah, I'm... no doubt. Yeah, well, uh, like uh, the motocross industry uh, is tough to uh, <laughs> tough to guess a lot of ages. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's wearing uh, um, more. Um, I guess you'd say uh, hipper uh, clothing than your average, but uh, I don't know. Like not, not to say twenty eights old whatsoever. I'm twenty nine for, uh, for Christ's sake. But uh, um, yeah, like it's it's pleasure to have you on, my friend. And uh, you're a guy who. Originally I think I got onto a lot of people's radar working with Josh Hansen about 4 years ago but since then have really started to uh, work your way up and and now uh, wrenching for the second year with uh, with for Dean Wilson how did how does that all come together how do you end up Oh uh, yeah uh, so the the, the, the uh, star one thing I've, had, I've learned uh, not, is uh, racing. the racing industry um, it's rock small. stars
1: um you know, so Spartan people team. they see you around and uh, maybe a lot more than you than you realize so um, for me, I, uh, I I think that when I worked for Josh, um, it really it, it really uh, put me on the map to be um, you know in the eye of people. You know, because Josh is a he's a highly watched rider. Uh, whether you love him or hate him, uh, people always want to know what he's up to. Um, so so for there, you know, pe- people got to know me. Uh, for who I was and and for my work, you know, because obviously with Josh, uh, he did a video series and, uh, you know, it portrays kind of people's lives and how they are and stuff like that. So I think that people took a liking to, uh, you know, who I am and and who I try to be. So I think that then, you know, people were were kind of realizing, oh, you know, this guy's here, he's there, whatever. But, um, you know, I had an opportunity after I worked for Josh or while I was working for Josh, um to go over to the ktm uh, orange brigade amateur team and help uh, a couple of the the amateur professional riders that they were hiring at the time or that they had hired at the time uh to turn professional um so it was going to be going through the and then uh maybe last couple outdoors and, and stuff like that and kind of helping them with that transition because um i had done amateur stuff you know in previous years and i had also done professional stuff and then um I worked there for probably uh, for, for eight months um, for Michael Moseman, who, again, it's a small world. He, he rides for the Rockstar Huckabana, uh factory team now, you know. And so, um, you know, and I also worked for Alex Fry, who's the guy um, who who rode for uh, Troy Lee uh, Supercross team there for, <laughs> there for a go, year yeah. ago or two years ago. Um, you know, d- did well there for a little bit. So I worked for those guys, and then uh, they actually sold that team to Troy Lee. And uh, when that went on, it kind of opened the door for right. me to job search a little bit. And I had previously worked with uh, Jason Anderson's mechanic at Modo Concepts for, uh, for three or four years. We worked together. And, uh, you know, he had been at Rockstar Husqvarna uh before it was the Husqvarna team when it was the KTM team and Jason won his championship and uh we remained friends through the whole time and so he kind of put in a good word there because he knew that you know I was going to be looking for a job with uh with the Orange Brigade uh, unit being sold and uh I had the opportunity to go to Troy Lee or uh you know talk to Tyler Keith about it and stuff but uh I also knew that I had this option over here uh you know per you know Chris as I like to call him uh, Percival saying, "Hey, you know, we're going to be needing a guy, and, and you know, I'll kind of get you in the right direction and get you an interview and stuff." And so, uh, I sat down with Bobby Hewitt and uh, and Scuba, who's who's my boss, uh, Stephen Westfall. And I don't think Bobby wanted anything to do with me. To be one hundred percent honest with you, you know. And uh, he's kind of I, I poke and jab at him now, you know, because. When I sat down there uh, for my interview, I had long hair and, uh, <laughs> you know, I think he thought my pants were a little bit too low. And Bobby's a good old Southern boy from Texas. And uh, I'm originally from Texas. So, you know, I'm that way a little bit, too. But I think he uh, he kind of was judging the book by its cover a little bit. And, uh, you know, Scuba, Scuba and CeeLo, man, they vouched for me uh, tenfold. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. You know, I've been there ever since. And uh, totally. and it's been a blessing. You know, this has been uh, one of the best moves I ever made in my career. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's been awesome, you know.
0: Absolutely, it seems like uh, your you're, you're, you're rising uh, star is is is, is uh, a lot like a lot of the athletes within this in the sport, and uh, with that comes a whole new level of professionalism. So, to that, I ask you: At what point did you start taking this seriously to the point where, like everyone knows, to uh, ready, tight, lefty, loosey? But when did you start to really hone your craft as far as looking to see what other mechanics were doing, uh, really taking pride in your work? And was there any ever oh, any time sure. I, someone I taking to uh, a kind of took you aside? Too, and uh, told, Cicillo, told you, you need Ciclaredo, to upgrade your game a little bit uh, and uh, um, you know showed he, you the way.
1: he's he's a guy that's uh he's been brutally honest with me uh throughout my my whole scent of being a mechanic and I think for me That's been, uh, that's been, been an awesome thing. Um, you know, there's (laughs) when I, when I did my job interview, uh, at moto concepts, uh, basically I I did it with another gentleman who who was my boss at the time. And, uh, Chris was Michael S's mechanic. And and so long story short, he was there and they said, Hey, you know, Chris, you have any comments you'd like to make, you know, for Daniel, you know, we think the interview went good. We're going to offer him the job, whatever. And he told me, you know, Hey, this, this isn't factory Honda. You got to do the work here. You know, you don't get new parts all the time. You need to scrub the stuff. You need to use the stuff. Don't be wasting all of our parts. And I'm like, wow, what does this guy mean, you know? And then after working with him for a little while, uh, you know, I saw that he went above and beyond in his efforts. And uh, at the time I thought I did as well, but um, it definitely showed me a whole new level of uh, of what it takes to, to to do this job. And so I think that that's some of the success that the Rockstar Husqvarna team is having now is um, is based on the crew that we have. You know, we all are guys uh, between, you know, CeeLo, myself, Dave Feeney, um you know pat who works for mitchell harrison um you know there's a list of guys scuba everybody like we're all uh extra mile type of guys you know and and we try to kind of leave no stone unturned and try to kind of put our best foot forward every day and uh you know do the best that we can i think that's kind of reflected in the past year or two um with some of the riders success that we've had and uh you know, like I said, for for me, I I started honing my skills a long time ago. Um, but working with a guy like, like, like CeeLo, he's definitely pointed me in the right direction and, uh, showed me a whole new, whole new side of working hard. And, uh, I've kind of took that and ran with it a little bit. And, uh, you know, for me, that's kind of how I was raised. Uh, my dad always told me that if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your abilities, because if not, you're going to have to do it over again. So, um, I've always kind of kept that in the back of my mind, but, um, big turning point for me would have been definitely working for like Nick way or Josh Hansen because, uh, you know, those guys are really particular about their stuff. And uh, I really tried to go the extra mile with those guys like I do now, but uh, I think that it was with them uh, more than anybody else.
0: Often. Absolutely. Yeah. And and like from from you guys spinning the wrenches yeah. right down to Paul Delorier uh, cooking and driving uh, the the I guess awesome guy you guys are a well-oiled machine um like uh, how does that camaraderie uh develop obviously you guys spend a lot of time in the shop but is there some like uh, some outside the shop uh, activities that you guys get together and do at all to kind of like, yeah i, create I think that's a little that's bit the of the a, difference uh, between
1: a brotherhood amongst you or something inside the uh inside else. the ratio right you know, when you work with people 30 something weekends out of the year which you know involves traveling and involves shop days and all that stuff so basically you're with is your teammates more than you're with your family. You know, um, I think that, you know, throughout the season, we definitely wean ourselves off of each other a little bit, but, uh, for us, we're, we're, we're a group of guys. I think that we all like to hang out outside of the race shop. You know, we all have things in common. We all like to ride. We all used to race or ride, um, growing up. And that's kind of what led us to where we're at now, you know? And so we all like to fish, um, love fishing every single one of us. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Dave doesn't go out as much as us, but, um, you know, we all fish every weekend. We have a spot, supercross motocross wherever that we're going or we know somebody that knows the spot or whatever so um i think that that's awesome and like you said paul paul delorean that's another guy that you know he, he i mean we had the the list of guys that are on our team is uh you know it, 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 it there's a depth there you know and it's really cool when everybody is has a diverse background to bring something to the table and uh you know hats off to bobby and bobby Hugh and and, and, uh, and scuba for, for setting the group up because uh, like i said i feel like that you know, I've worked at a, at a at a numerous amount of teams. You know, over the years, and uh, you know, they've all been great teams, and all have had their pluses and minuses. And and, and so there's one of them on now, but uh, we definitely get along the best that that I've uh, I've I've known. You know, we can all badmouth each other, but if somebody else badmouths about mouths one of us, you know, then we have each other's backs in you know, a tenfold. So, and that's uh, that's rare.
0: Absolutely. A rare, uh, culture within, uh, uh, uh is well, a complete a mechanic, team. what do you bring to the table? I, What's, uh, what do you feel stuff, like you know, is, is your greatest strength is, as is a mechanic great in,
1: in, in all different aspects? Um, for me, I, 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 just try to be diverse, you know, and as far as what I bring to the table, I think that, uh, maybe like a lighter mood, you know, um, you know, like with Dean and myself, it works out great um with Kristoff I had to be you know which which was my previous writer on the team Porcel had to be a little more serious Kristoff but um you know with Dean I'm able to cut up and you know we all joke around and laugh and uh, I think that you know numerous times throughout the main event or throughout the night program or whatever we're all you know we're serious but we're cracking a joke or something like that or making fun of Bobby or you know whatever the scenario is and I feel like that uh you know, CeeLo, myself, Steve—all of us—we kind of spearhead that. But I definitely think that I try to to bring a lighter mood to the table, um, and just uh, you know, I try to try to go you know go the extra mile and in anything that I do, as far as my bike goes or or whatever. So I hate to point out one area that maybe I'm have a strength in or something like that. But I definitely feel like for me, I bring a, you know, sense of humor and uh, try to be level-headed and uh, you know, see things from all different aspects and you know, all different uh, angles because I feel like at the end of the day, that. So makes you a good mechanic is uh you know obviously you have to you have to know right from wrong but you also have to be able to uh to see things from different points of view because you know one guy's stiff is different than the next guy's stiff which is different than the next guy's stiff or whatever you know so you got to be able to translate their information into data and kind of make it work so um you know for me just uh, if i had to pinpoint one thing i'd definitely say just to be a diverse human being you know i've got a guy that's diverse background so i'm able to kind of relate to guys like porcel all the way to wilson you know which is uh Two completely different into the spectrum, if you ask me.
2: <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Two Uh, completely different uh, accents and two completely different demeanors. Can't let you get off the phone without uh, asking you about working with Purcell. Uh, The guy is a little bit of an enigma wrapped in a riddle, wrapped in an incredibly talented dirt bike rider. Uh, How did you um, kind of develop a relationship with him to the point where you could then kind of read his mind a little bit and and understand his cues that he was giving you? And uh, how did, that challenge kind of making you a better <laughs> mechanic because yeah, and, uh, I can't think of a, yeah, a, of a steeper challenge uh, than uh, trying to relate
1: to a guy who's uh, not, not, not putting it in anybody's face by no means. Cause I know he had a lot of great mechanics over the years and guys that I definitely looked up to, but uh, when, when I made the decision to work with Dean, um, you know, because Bobby and Scuba when they brought on Dean and, and, and Christophe, you know, and they came to a deal with uh, Hey, you know, you're, you're going to race in Canada. You need a little time off, you know, per that's what Christoph wanted to do and all that stuff. Uh, however, they arranged it. Uh, they said, Hey, look, Dean's going to start a house this weekend. You got to figure out which one you want to do. Uh, Christoph wants to keep you. Obviously Dean would like you, you know, to, to work for him. I'm sure uh, all of the equipment he's going to use is, is, is your stuff now. So, you know, it's up to you. And uh, you know, I, I, contacted Christophe and kind of, you know, I, watched, I thought about it for a night or two and uh, spoke with my brother, who's been a big part of my decision-making in my career. Uh, he's definitely somebody who I reach out to for, for guidance, uh, you know, numerous times. Um, you know, so I, I, I talked to him, I talked to everybody else, you know, that, that I trust and, uh, spoke with Christophe and basically, uh, hey you know, look i think it's better for me to stay here in america you know rather than go to canada not that they're too far apart or anything but um you know i feel like that up in canada it's a great series and everything but to get a job in in the u.s circuit is maybe a little bit tougher um you know and i feel like that i work for one of the best teams in the paddock so when your face isn't seen uh, in the national series i feel like people forget about you you, you know stuff like that so you're easily forgot about You're only good as your last race and so if you're not there then they're going to forget about you so for me, I, I made the choice to work with Dean, and, uh, you know, off texted me back and told me, hey, look, you know, well, I spoke to him about it, but then he texted me later when we got off the phone and said, hey, you know, you're the best mechanic I've ever had. I really appreciate it and stuff, you know, I wish you the best and all that stuff. So, um, you know, for me, I screenshotted that thing, and I got it, you know, I got it forever. So, um, you know, how did I relate to him? How did I beat the wall down? Um, uh, like I said, I have had a diverse background my whole life, so, um wasn't scared to deal with Kristoff, you know. Wasn't nervous. So I didn't even nervous. You know, I knew kind of where he was coming from. Uh, some of the stuff he's dealt with in life, and uh, maybe how that would change a person. Um, you know, I have family members who've dealt with stuff, uh, wrong side of tracks, whatever. And um, you know, so I kind of went into it similar to how you deal with somebody like that. You know, Kristoff's been burnt by people, and he's been uh, hurt, and you know, a lot of different things. So he's a scarred person. You know, so he's going to be very private. And uh, anyway, long story short. Uh, and I went surfing with Christophe. I went to dinner with Christoph. Uh The man bought me dinner, which people would have told me never would have happened, you know, uh, stuff like that. So, um, I mean, he's a, he's a unique individual, but uh, to each his own, you know, everybody's unique in their own ways. And uh, when you've dealt with stuff like Christophe's dealt with uh, in his career, I think that, you know, like I said, it steers you away from, from certain people and uh, definitely when you're, when you're coming from a different country racing in America and stuff like that, I think that everybody puts their spin on how you mean things and they mean it a different way, you know? And, um, so I think for him, you know, after he got, uh, misunderstood a couple of times, he just said, "Ah, I just ain't going to talk to nobody, you know? And, uh, you know, maybe it's not the right way to do it, but you know, at the end of the day, that's the way he wanted to go about it. So, um, for me, I just, like I said, I took uh, an approach to Chris off it, you know, I've, Dealt with with family members and stuff, and uh, how can I help you? How can I make this job easier for you? And you know what can I do for you? Kind of deal. And um, Christoph and I had a good relationship. Uh, you know, we didn't have the most success that I felt like he should have had because um, the guy is an unbelievable talent. He's one of the best in the business to this day, in my opinion. Um, and it's hard to, hard to argue with that. But um, you know, he's he's uh, you know he, he didn't he didn't get to do what I thought he was capable of but uh, he's accomplished so much in his career um that you know you know you can't uh, can't blame the guy for getting out you know make, making a clean break from it and uh you know he had a great run great career that somebody like myself only dreams of having but uh like i said to break off down uh you know like to get to get inside those walls uh had to put him a lot of time you know surfing dinners hanging out you know and he's just an average guy just like me or uh, anybody else i know like to so play video games Always being outside, like the mountain bike, stuff like that. He's definitely not what I thought he was going to be as far as, you know, people kind of portrayed him to be a little bit different. And like I said, he each his own, but he's no different than 75% of the professional motocross races out there. Yeah.
0: There you go. A look into the psyche of the, uh, the, 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 crafty Frenchman as he's been known. So, uh, you, you move from, from one, one athlete who was, like we said, a very different athlete. Uh, I think like you said, he kind of uh, closed himself in, but he was most comfortable that way and that's fine. Then you move over to the most open book in the sport, I yeah. might say, uh, one of the most outgoing riders, uh, and uh, one that probably talks funnier than anyone in the pits, uh, dean wilson uh the yeah, guy yeah, is an no, absolute dean, uh, riot, and uh, uh I dean's a guy that's awful, uh, skilled he, you know behind the controls you of know, a 450 just Tell me out about
1: looking in i mean like i say, he's a ride he's a great guy and a uh, great personality and brings a lot to the table but uh i actually was lucky enough to be able to go to mx nations with dean this year go to great britain uh go to the uk see where he grew up in glasgow and scotland see where he's from uh all that stuff i didn't get to go to canada and see where he's from but i got to kind of meet the people who were who were around him and. uh kind of helped make him kind of what he is. And then obviously he moved to Canada, accent got a little funnier and stuff. Had just spent there for a couple of years and made his way down to Southern California and uh, been there ever since and kind of put his own twist on his deal. But, uh, you know, he says when he, went, when he got to Canada, they made, they made fun of him for his UK accent. You know, then when he got to Southern California, they made fun of him for his Canadian accent. So then he's just got a mix of his own and it is what it is. And, you know, he got it respected and uh, he, he makes me laugh all the time, you know, but, uh, Dean is, uh, he's a great guy. First off, um, you know, he, dude, he's, he's, uh, an amazing talent. And I think that he, you know, he has scratched the surface of what he's capable of in the four hundred fifty class. In my first, you know, I, uh, I think the guy was on the level that, uh, he's always wanted to be on. And I think people have always thought he could be on before the season. And then, uh, you know, come Anaheim, uh, it's just a dumb little mistake on his part. And, um, you know, it happens. It's racing, you know, I, I, we all make mistakes every single day. So, um you know can't can't hold it against him or anything he was uh he was sending it he was going for it and you know he had done that line on that uh double double where he would kind of mad skills manual it, so to speak and then scrub the triple he had done that line on a fast lap and then uh earlier in the heat race on like the second lap and uh you know he was just trying to trying to get the pass stick because he saw you know his teammate jason in front of him and a couple other guys and wanted to try to get to the front because he knew that's where jason was going so um you know, he got a little antsy and made a mistake and, uh, you know, like I said, so um, I think that this weekend is, is getting the ball rolling in the right direction, uh, him getting on the podium and getting second, uh, maybe not the cleanest run that he wanted to have. You know, I know he made a couple mistakes and, uh, you know, things like that, but um, you know, the guy's unbelievable talent and uh like I said, that's just scratching the surface of it, getting going and uh it took him so long because he's he's been fighting injuries all season and uh, it's tough when you get hurt at the first round to show up and race every weekend after that and uh you know you get subpar results and you start doubting yourself and you know, the people around you telling you you can do it, but you know, no matter what, you, you definitely uh it takes a toll on. You. you know, I've watched it happen with numerous guys in the pits and uh like I said, you know, they're not superhuman, you know, they have feelings too, you know. So uh you know a couple of subpar results uh for dean you know definitely definitely uh took the win out of sales a little bit but he's kept fighting and uh starting to come back around And i'm super proud of him for that because uh you know it's it's easy to give up you know but it's hard to keep going so uh it's really rad for him to do that and uh you know he definitely likes to have fun he likes to keep it light you know we we, we uh enjoy you know sending back and forth uh you know instagram things that we find or you know rap songs or stuff like that or movies or whatever and uh you know, as a mechanic, you know, your job is to work on the bike, right? But the job that nobody knows about is you got to be a psychiatrist, you got to be a best friend, you know, you got to like, you got to, you got to be there for these guys. And, uh, you know, week in and week out, you know, they're looking for somebody to lean on sometimes, maybe it's just a little boost of confidence, maybe it's telling them his hair's looking good, you know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, that's how it is in this sport. You know, the guys are, they're amazing athletes, but they're humans at the end of the day, and they have feelings too. So, um you know for me as a mechanic part of my job is finding out what makes him tick what makes him go what makes him better so um you know for dean uh you know he's he's a guy that you know he's having fun you get the best results out of him you know and and it's uh you know maybe making him laugh before he takes off for the main event you know maybe it's uh you know but listen to a song he wants to hear whatever you know sometimes we'll facetime people in the tunnel uh crack jokes like i mean he he likes to have fun and, uh, and like I said, I think he's starting to have more fun uh, this season now and, uh, hopefully, hopefully he keeps the ball rolling.
0: Definitely. almost. Yep. Uh, I didn't forget to mention, but I wanted to congratulate you on your first 450 podium as a mechanic. That's got to be exciting. And uh, um, as the laps tick yeah, down yeah, there, up, I, I come but, to understand that uh, is, Dean is, uh, may or may not have so gotten uh, four laps, laps to go before, you know, uh, more than once. Mean, like,
1: hey, how many laps are they going to be? And Dean, Dean and I kind of have a system going <laughs> where he'd like me to to tell him what lap he's on and, and uh, duplicate the five. So lap five, lap 10, lap 15, lap 20, lap 25, whatever. So, um, you know, I knew that at lap 25, he would only have two laps to go. Um, so I'm like, hey, look, you know, like I'll just break it down for him when he gets, you know, five laps to go and, and cut it up for him that way because that's typically how we've done it at the practice track. And so uh, Bobby Hewitt, if you're out there listening, this one's on you because you told me four laps twice. And he knows that. And actually, our team our, our team coordinator Sean Murphy, because actually Dean uh, Dean blew me out on Pulp MX, you know, on Matthew's <laughs> show yesterday. And uh, <laughs> hey, that, that it's fair play. It's fair game. Dean Dean's all he, he knows how it happened because him and I talk, don't think he didn't talk like talk crap That's to me right. about it, you know. And I had to tell him why it happened, you know. And uh, Bobby had said, "Hey, when you get to you, four laps to go." And I said, "Okay, wrote four laps." Next lap round, I'm writing three laps. No, no, bud, sorry, four laps to go now. And so, okay, I had to ride four laps again, you know? And so, for me, it's tough enough trying to write lap times and, and motivational things and stuff like that. So, uh, we lean on the guy in the tower for, for information, and uh, that one was Bobby. He's uh, he's uh, logistics and morale, if you ask him what his role on the team is. And logistics are lap times and lap count, and he, and he blew it. But I'm the guy that's out there taking the punches in the public, you know? <laughs> basically
0: <laughs> absolutely do not shoot the messenger I just have a pit board yeah. and I'm told what to put on it um, yeah hey and as well as some inspirational messages as well uh, uh, yeah, Daniel Castle people uh, mostly know you there's as a, there's Mohed a story behind before I let you and, go uh, why do they, they know you enough
1: to maybe see me in the bar one night maybe I'll tell you or something like that but uh I keep, I keep I keep it pretty private. Uh, a couple of my buddies know and uh they love it and it's nothing nothing too crazy right, uh but right. uh back in the day I, I definitely had some fun uh, when I was a little bit younger. We tamed it down now that we're older but uh yeah, it involves it involves a good night. How about that? <laughs> Fair
0: enough, fair enough. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. And uh, I I know you're going to appreciate a couple of days off of not jumping onto an airplane every couple of days. Uh, I uh, wish you the best of luck the rest of the season, my friend. And we'll see you in Minneapolis.